Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling podcast. I'm Pam Larickia, longtime unschooling mom and author. Join me and my wonderful guests for interviews, information, and inspiration about unschooling and living joyfully with your family. You can find the episode show notes, your free introductory ebook, What is Unschooling?, and lots more information at livingjoyfully.ca. And here's the show. Hello, everyone. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 102 of the podcast. It's the 13th of December 2017 as I record this intro. My guest this week is Rachel Rainbolt. Rachel is an unschooling mom of three and author of the book Sage Homeschooling. We have such a fun conversation, diving into her family's move to unschooling, how connection and relationships are at the core of learning, technology, micro-adventures, and lots more. As a personal update this week, I took a couple of sick days hanging out on the couch, napping, reading, and playing the new Animal Crossing app. I'm definitely on the mend now, so I'm just being careful not to push too hard. We did get enough snow to inspire me to shovel the driveway yesterday, and it felt good to be moving again. And I want to send a huge thank you to everyone who has chosen to support the show on Patreon. You guys inspire me to keep exploring the fascinating world of unschooling. And I really appreciate your support in sharing unschooling information with anyone who's curious to learn more about this wonderful lifestyle. And if you'd like to support the show, even for as little as a dollar a month, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And this week's quote is from Rachel. She was talking about how the paradigm shift to trust has been the most challenging and most rewarding part of her unschooling journey. And I thought the way she used the concept of space to describe the before and after was just so spot on. She said, if you are filling in all that space for them, then there is no room for them to fill it in for themselves. If you are occupying all of their time and telling them what things they are to focus on, then there is no room for them to grow into that space. You can't both occupy it simultaneously. Once you have fully surrendered to the trust, there's all of this space for them to blossom and to fill in and to grow into and take hold of. And then there's just so much magic that comes from that. That's just brilliant. She was also careful to note that it's not about giving them physical space. That's disconnecting. You're right there with them, but you're holding the space for them to grow and fill in. Maybe try carrying that image around with you for the next few days and see how it feels. And now, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Rachel. Hi everyone, I'm Pam Larickia from livingjoyfully.ca and today I'm here with Rachel Rainbolt. Hi Rachel. Hello. Hello. Just to give everyone a little introduction, what I thought I'd do is share this bit from Rachel's about page on her website, sageparenting.com. She writes, I believe in the power of connection, the radical principle that children are human beings deserving of respect and empathy, nighttime parenting that honors a little one's natural needs and allows for both connection and independence to blossom, and natural learning through living a lifestyle of freedom and joy. 
I really love that. So I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to use that. (laughs) (laughs) Why, thank you. Yes, it's beautiful. And uh, I'm really excited to dive into some of the details with you. So to get us started, Rachel, can you share with us a bit about you and your family? Sure. So I live with my husband and my three children who are now... 12, 9, and almost 6 in the Pacific Northwest. I am originally from San Diego, and we moved here just over a year ago and bought a fixer-upper on the beach, um, knowing absolutely nothing about fixing up houses, which is so pertinent for this conversation (laughs) because we just unschooled our way through it all. (laughs) Like, we had all kinds of gaps and, you know, never, we're never taught any of this. And yet we had a need to learn it. And we had so much fun together and tapped into the community and, and dove into YouTube university and, <laughs> and all kinds of things like that. And now we have a legitimate house with walls and power. And it's amazing what you can do when you're motivated to learn something. Um, and so now we're just having so much fun adventuring all around the Pacific Northwest together. That's awesome. Wow. And and that's only a year that you guys uh, (laughs) threw yourself into that project, didn't you? (laughs) Yes, we did. I think demo was the favorite portion for the kids, for sure. I mean, giving a bunch of kids some hammers and screwdrivers and just telling them to go at it it was just a blast. (laughs) That's awesome. So I was hoping you could share with us a little bit about your family's move to unschooling and what that looked like. Yeah, well, we, I think, started our parenting journey in the attachment parenting mindset. Um, And I know I've heard a lot of people on your show talk about coming into unschooling through attachment parenting. And that's how it was for us. Um, And then when my firstborn turned four, we were kind of supposed to hand them over to the schools and that just felt wrong on every level (laughs) but we didn't really know that there was another option so I was interviewing schools and grilling principals and just desperately trying to find a way to make it make sense in, in my mind and I couldn't I couldn't find a way for it to make sense yet at the same time I didn't really know there was anything else um so we did it so my firstborn was in school for kindergarten and first grade. And then once we got into second grade, we just couldn't, I, I said, I don't even really know what's on the other side, but we are jumping ship. And so then we left the traditional public school for homeschooling. And we started with homeschooling through the district um, with a very tentative, like, let's just try it mindset. And, you know, we could always go right back in if we really wanted to. Um, And through the district, we were doing the exact same work that he was doing in school. Um, So we did that for a bit. Then we did a homeschool charter, then homeschooling independently, and then unschooling. So it was sort of this gradual evolution back to the natural learning and living that we had been doing before school came into the picture. I love that. You know, I love that idea of, of step by step. You know what I mean? So, you know, you saw, okay, well, when when you figured out that you didn't have to go to school, right, and that their homeschooling was an option, it's like, okay, I'm going to take that one step away from that, right? But you had that connection with the, 
that that a charter school or online school, whatever. And then it's just step by step because I took even longer before I found out that homeschooling (laughs) existed, but it was still step by step, right? In that when school wasn't working, we, we, I was, you know, in with principals and teachers and all that stuff for years. But then we stepped, we stepped to private school because, this was not working, you know, and I would work with teachers, et cetera. And uh, a couple of years, yeah, we had good teachers that I could work with and we could make it, you know, an amenable environment um, for Joseph. But when it, when, you know, it finally didn't, we took that step to, to private school. And I think that's something that we work in our whole lives for all our different changes when something's not working. It's like, okay, well, what's one step I can take that seems better. (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. And I have like, when we were in the system, you know, trying to be that fierce advocate for my Mm -hmm. kid and then having that realization that I'm not going to be able to change this system from the inside anywhere near to, to where I think that it would need to be in order for my kids to thrive. And then, like you said, just, just that step by step, what can, what's, okay, the smallest thing I can do today, you know, that feels like I can, I can do it. And in hindsight, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and sometimes I feel impatient with myself and I wish that just from the beginning, you know, I, I had been where I am today and mm-hmm. knew everything that I knew now and, and, and saw things the way that I saw them now, but that's just not how life works. You know, you have to walk your journey and you have to, you have to learn things through experience and, And I know, you know, even though sometimes I feel impatient with myself, I know that had we not walked that journey, we wouldn't be where we are today. And where we are today is so amazing and wonderful. And so I try to just be grateful for that journey, even though sometimes I feel a tad impatient with myself. I know I can the same thing, right? I'd be going, well, you know, he wasn't, he was in grade four by the time I, you know, discovered this possibility. And, you know, I can always say, oh, I wish I found it sooner. I wish I found it sooner. But there's, there's also that piece, right? Where that's, there's that connection um, where you're ready for that. You know what I mean? You're in a mindset and a, yeah, that's why that experience is is so much a part of the journey because everything up to that point has put you in the spot where now you're open to it. You know what? Maybe somebody had said the word homeschooling before. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, I can't say that that, that didn't happen, but... You know, I don't remember it, but maybe that's just because it didn't connect with me where I was at that moment, right? Yeah. I remember having a conversation with someone once and they mentioned the word homeschooling and I just dismissed it right away. You know, those platitudes that we Mm -hmm. sometimes feel like, oh, he's way too social. Oh, I I don't want to be a teacher, you know, things, (laughs) things like that. And I remember like saying those words, which is so funny now from the position that I'm in over here on this side of the journey. Um, but like you said, I just, I wasn't like, I wasn't ready to, to hear that. I didn't really know what that meant. You know, I, I just, I wasn't there yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And that's, that's just such an important piece to remember too, because it, it doesn't help to, yeah. um, always look back and go, Oh gee, and try to beat ourselves up. You know what I mean? Yes. Because, because you can't change that, but you can, 
use use where you are now to to step forward because step mm-hmm. stepping forward is where all the awesome things are, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So now that uh, you you found homeschooling and and you uh, started stepping closer and closer to unschooling, as you were going through that kind of de-schooling process, I was curious to know what you found to be kind of like the most challenging paradigm shift on that journey. Yeah, the de-schooling process was pretty intense for me. Like my husband and I both have graduate degrees and school from the way I was raised was very much tied into your, it's like validation and it's your value and it's your self worth. And so it was definitely a big process for me to get out from under all of that baggage of control and power and competition and, and trust was really the biggest piece for me. Um, for sure. When I, when I gave birth to my first, it took me a minute to, to shake out from under all that baggage and surrender fully to trusting my child and myself. And I found that it was the exact same thing with unschooling where that, that was kind of the last piece that clicked into place for me. Mm-hmm. And I knew in my mind, you know, in my rational cognitive centers <laughs> that, that, that trust was the way to go and and trust is like that intention that I held in all of my parenting and I would talk about it and how important it was and having that click in in the schooling area and the education you know realm was the last piece to like fully 100% through and through click in place I love that because that I'm, I'm just trying, I'm thinking back to my journey as well. And yeah, when that, that seems to be the last piece because it's like, it's the biggest piece. It's that kind of hump where you can, you can almost relax. It's like this deep breath that you didn't even know you were yes. holding, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. And it seems like you can say on the surface level, like I absolutely trust my children and I trust them to lead this journey. But then in the back of the mind of my mind, there were little thoughts like, oh, oh, but what about gaps? Like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, but what about, you know, this, that and the other. And when that like 100 percent of the trust finally clicked all the way, even to those like back corners of my mind, that's when everything really started to soar and feel amazing and and be wonderful. Like I, I had to get through that last, I had to let go of those last like societal expectations and pressures and and just let those last ones go and then to be fully into trust with my kids. And then that's when things really started to blossom. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it's it's so true. I mean, that's the, the same experience that, that I've had. And you you don't you can't really anticipate, can you, what it's going to be like at that point? It's just wow, everything is is brighter yeah. and and more full. And, and you know, I don't I don't like to leave the mistaken impression that at that point it's easy all of a sudden, right? I mean, life is still right. life, but that trust helps you sink into each of those moments, doesn't it? Just so you can totally be there with them and processing and and it it quiets all those questions that were usually flowing in the back of your mind doesn't it yes and 
And if you are filling in all that space for them, then there's no room for them to fill it in for themselves. So, you know, if if you are occupying their time and telling them what things they are to focus on, then there's no room for them to grow into that space. And you both can't occupy it simultaneously. (laughs) So once you have fully surrendered to the trust, there's all of a sudden all this space for them to blossom into and to fill in and to grow into and to take hold of. Um, And then there's just so much magic that comes from that. I love that image because, I mean, that that is such a beautiful way to describe it. I hadn't thought of it that way because um, you are now, once you're fully trusting, you're able to really let them be that that idea of space for them to fully be themselves. I love that because. And it's not distant. Yeah, it's just like holding space like you're right there with them, but you're holding the space for them to grow and to fill in. Mm -hmm. And that leads very nicely into the next question, because in that space is going to be all this uh, room for connection and relationships. So, okay, okay. (laughs) The next question. (laughs) You're getting me excited ahead of myself. Now, I really enjoyed reading your book, Sage Homeschooling, which is about your unschooling lives. And in it, you have a whole chapter about connection and how relationships are at the core of learning. See, we're bringing this all full circle. (laughs) So can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, connection is the foundation from which all other wonderful things spring. I like to think about connection kind of in these concentric circles. There's like the sense of self at the core. And as you know, with unschooling, that sense of self, I mean, these kids reach adulthood really knowing themselves in such an intimate um, and wonderful way. Um, But then right outside of that is that immediate family, basically the people that you live with is how most people think of it. And it's within those relationships that the archetypes are constructed in the brain. I mean, the it's the brain is actually built through those family relationships. It's in, in that connection we learn what does learning look like? What does love feel like? What is it to be accepted or not? What's marriage, motivation, health, empathy? All of these things, all of these principles for success in the future take root right here in the soil of connection. That is where it all takes root. And for example, I have one child who really processes and learns through conversation. And without it, things kind of fall flat for them. But then sparks fly um, in, in conversation, even something as simple as conversation. They might read something in a book or see something that they've found on the ground, and they'll run over to someone in the family and just talk all about it you know, really fast talking, eyes wide, and then that stays with them and they bring it up and they build on it. Um, And that just, that happens through connection. And if someone's not available for them to talk to, I can see it like in their eyes, they still see it and they still touch it, but then it kind of ends there. Whereas if there's someone around to experience it with them or to talk to them about it, it just goes into this whole other level. And then the connection extends out. Um, after that immediate family, you have things like extended family, friends, community, the world. Um, in my book, I talk a lot about mentorship um, as being a really powerful uh, learning modality for a lot of people, and that's just tapping into the community, people who have passion and knowledge about a really specific subject that your child is interested in, and then even all the way out to things like philanthropy. It's really great. I, I 
when you're talking about um, how connections are so important for learning, I love that description of um, your son who loves to process things through conversation, right? When you're giving them the space to process things the way they want to, I think what they're doing is is they're able to, because they're following what they're interested in, they're able to bring that emotional component in. And that, when they're um, sharing it however they they like, you know, whether it's through conversation mm-hmm. or whether it's just personally immersing themselves in it, they're creating mm. that spark of engagement, um, emotion, connection that takes it up that level um, where it, uh, for lack of a better word, um, creates a memory, embeds them yeah. itself in memory, right? That's one of the big reasons I think why learning this way is just so much more effective because that's where their mind is. That's where their whole body body soul mind everything is in that moment and it's that is the way the brain makes those memories isn't it absolutely and I mean if your goals and I think it's important to look at I prefer the word like intentions Mm -hmm. um because goals have such like an outcome attachment but like if your intentions are to have a human being at the other end of life who feels whole you know heartful and and accepted and loved and satiated, um, then connection is the way to get there. And through that connection, all of those other things that you care about um, are going to thrive and blossom, all those other qualities for success and things like learning. And, And this is something that we understand about how humans learn and even primates. Like even if you go down to other lower primates, they have to have that connection piece in order to learn other things. If you deprive them of that connection or pull them outside of those primary attachment relationships and then try to teach them something, they don't learn it or they don't learn it as well. They don't learn it as efficiently and it doesn't stay with them. Like this is like basic stuff that we understand. And yet when we want children to learn, we completely isolate them from their (laughs) primary attachment figures. It makes no sense. I know. I I actually I spent last week. I've been putting together um, a talk for an online uh, conference next year, and th- I'm focusing on that. And one of the huge pieces is how um, you, it, it's when you look at uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm-hmm. right? And you look at um, where learning fits in that. Um, pyramid that that you need those I mean at the bottom is you know your physiological needs for you know food and water and sleep etc and and a feeling of safety but then the next is that level of psychological needs the attachment the connection um those are just as important and you need that uh, safety, you need that um, relationship with other people before Mm -hmm. you can get to the the learning level. So yeah, yeah, I mean, and as someone with a background in family therapy, I even argue and from what I've seen coming at it from that direction, that the connection piece is the safety piece. And that comes before all other things. Like even if someone is hungry, but they feel held and safe and loved, they're able to do so much more than if they have food 
but they feel abandoned and unsafe and on their own at a young age. Mm-hmm. And as someone who has worked with um, adults who feel broken in various ways, if their family didn't have enough money to keep the heat on or to put enough food on the table, but their family felt connected and full of love and that no matter what, they were safe and they were held Um, They are so much more whole on the other end and the other way around. Some people have loads of money and and all the things that they could ever want, but they don't have that connection piece and they are just drowning in life. That is such a great observation and, and absolutely true. You can see that in so many examples around in our lives, can't you? Yeah. Yeah, that that. Emotional safety piece is, I think that is one of the huge pieces that we are, you know, maybe it's take for granted or don't Mm. realize how important that is because, you know, even when I was looking at, when you look at um, learning as engagement and flow, et cetera, Mm. that research too says that, you know, if the person doesn't feel safe, um, with the people that they're around, they can't sink into it because they've always got, you know, kind of one eye looking around in Absolutely. their environment, right? Even in their Absolutely. emotional environment. Yeah. Yes. That's such a great point. Um, yeah. Okay. Next question. In <laughs> my experience, uh, when we talk about the value of relationships to learning um, and in our lives, Parents sometimes take that to mean more is better, and they focus on adding lots of social activities to the family calendar. Um, But it's not about the quantity of them, is it? Oh, goodness, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness, no. Um, Yes, the... I, when, you know, part of the work that I do is email coaching and I coach families all over the world. And one of the first things that we often focus on is this concept that I talk about of unbusy, um, unbusying your lives. Um, and it kind of goes back a little bit to the connection piece where what you were getting at was that we only have like so many units of mental energy, if you will. (laughs) And, and being, social and sort of performing in different social contexts uses up a whole lot of those mental units, um, as does like conflicted, you know, family relationships and things like that. But unbusying, like is this, if, if nothing else, like that's the place to start is by unbusying your lives. And I like to think of it as holding space for your priorities and your intentions. So sit down as a family and actually figure out what your priorities and intentions are as a family. And I ask all of my families that I work with to do this. And I they're pretty consistent, I have to say, across the board when families come back to me with what their priorities and intentions are. It tends to be things like connection and experience and and things like that. But that is that reflected then in your schedule where you allocate your time and resources basically what are you spending your time on what are you spending your money on and it's different for everyone um how I don't know if I want to use the word busy but how I think the social obligation piece tends to be really 
really big, especially for homeschoolers, because there's that socialization question, like, well, how will they be socialized? Um, so I think probably homeschoolers feel a bit of pressure to stack the deck in that department so that when someone says that, they can say, oh, CCC, we do X, Y, and Z and this so many days a week, and we're around this many number of other kids. Um, but what that ideal balance is of that social connection piece is really different for everyone. And it's just about finding that ideal for each person and making that work for your family. For example, in our flow, in our rhythm, we tend to have one adventure day a week. So I, we plan one day of some new experience or some social experience. Um, I run a group I call Hack School, which is like Homeschool Adventure Club. And so we'll get together with other people and have some cool, exciting, fun thing. And then I've learned that immediately following that, we have to have two, we call them home days, two days where there's absolutely nothing in the calendar. So one totally awesome adventure day, two days of just absolutely nothing. And we hold the space for that because that's a priority for us. And what I see in that space is the kids not only decompressing and going inward a little bit more, but they also process all of the things that they experienced and learned on that adventure day. So the other day we went to like a um, wetland wildlife preserve and we saw we saw this spotted seal that we didn't even know lived in the wetlands. And, and then for those two home days, the kids are looking up you know, interesting facts about the different creatures we saw and what are the habitats for seals. And they're playing with the little uh, seal guys and they're, you know, the, the learning just sort of goes deeper when they have that space to play with it. Whereas if the schedule is stacked and we're going, going and doing and doing, the experience ends and then it kind of stops there because there's just not the space and the mental energy for them to really dive deep with it. I think that was one of the most surprising things to me um, to figure out over those first couple of years was how much um, down time, how much processing yeah. time that um, they would want, that they would use, that would feel feel comfortable, right? Yeah. That it was such a big surprise. And uh, I remember after a while, like, Lizzie would be planning out her activities, you know, and her weeks. And she'd be like, okay, well, if I'm going out here, I need like three days at home. And then, then I can, <laughs> then I can do this. Like they took that on and, and, yes. and started to recognize that. Right. <laughs> well, and most adults don't know that about themselves yet. That's like yeah. getting to, you know, how well do you know yourself? Most adults don't know like what their ideal balance in that department is. And they don't know how much they can really thrive when they're in that ideal balance. A lot of adults have never even felt it. Mm-hmm. And you, um, because you mentioned earlier, right? We are so busy measuring ourselves so busy. externally, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that, you know, we did A, B, C, and D, you know, isn't that, isn't that great? Because we're so used to that being, that busyness, being um, a measure of success. Aren't we? Absolutely. Busy does not equal successful. And that's definitely a message that we have, you know, more is better and, and busy is more successful. That's definitely a message we have in this country in particular. I assume it's the same. Yeah. <laughs> definitely the same here. 
the busier your family is, the more successful they are. And the busier your kids are, the more you are stacking the deck in their favor and the more successful they will be. Um, but that's not based on any actual data or <laughs> facts or longitudinal research because all of that stuff says the exact opposite. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, I think you you were talking about, um, you know, when you have uh, clients and stuff and you first get them to kind of do that exercise. I love the idea of mental units, but... <laughs> It's even just making the connection, right? I value, you know, um, this time with my children. I value this connection, et cetera. And then on the other hand, you know, we're running to X, Y, Z activities, you know, and to make the connection, well, if those are your goals, how, uh, you know, intentions, which I like better too, (laughs) how are those matching? But to realize that you should... It helps to choose your actions to mesh with what your intentions are. Yes, absolutely. I'll ask people, like, what's your favorite day of the week? Why? What are you doing on that day? And it and it's just crazy how much that does not line up with how people are writing the story of their lives and who they are as a family. You know, you get to write your family's story. And, and the easiest place to start with that is with what you do do with your time and your money you know that's sort of the the top surface level place but it's an important place to start <laughs> because everything else sort of whittles down from there if your priority is to just be in connection in a in, in an inspiring environment and to be able to say yes you know as opportunities and inspiration strikes but then you you've packed out your schedule with so many things no matter how wonderful they sound there's not room for that there's not space for it and you have to hold space for what those priorities are you know you may have found the most amazing forest school program and I love forest school programs but but then your child is upset and tired and can't hold the connection with any of their family members and and isn't pursuing any of their own interests because they're just spent you know that even no matter how wonderful like a commitment is you know it's, it's not in in declining a something an opportunity you're not saying you're not condemning this opportunity with like a negative judgment you're not saying this opportunity is bad you're just saying it's not in line with your intentions right now and that's okay mm-hmm. that's the other piece too is is um realizing that a choice now too is not forever right absolutely yeah, that that okay, that doesn't fit now, especially because we could get so caught up in in age and again back to the external measures. We need to do this, this, and this, but to realize, you know what? We all know that this program or this opportunity, you know, this place exists and it can flow into our lives whenever. We don't need to grab hold of it now and try and pull it to us it may well flow into our days eventually when you're because because eventually it it will probably have more of a connection right absolutely yeah i think having space um for that flow to happen is is really um i mean beneficial yes but i think that's where um that uh, you're giving more priority to the flow of our interests and our days and yeah. just ourself, our self-awareness, right? Mm-hmm. And and get, gaining experience with how when you follow those things, um, 
amazing things end up flowing into your life instead of trying to keep grabbing them and trying to fit them in, right? That freedom of time is an essential component for natural learning to thrive. Yeah, I think it, it, it's uh, so much more than we anticipate because, you know, we've got curriculums, right? And we've got (laughs) so so much structure that we're leaving that um, it it can be hard to imagine (laughs) that that anything will happen if you don't like structure it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there is another uh, topic that I would like to hit on, and this is a hot button issue for a lot of parents, and it's uh, technology, as, and especially as they move to unschooling, they can, and we're talking about connection, right? They can perceive it as as disconnecting, as something that's taking away opportunities for connection with their children, and I was hoping you could share a bit about your family's experience with that. Yeah, technology in so many ways. I mean, our children higher body of knowledge at their fingertips, something we've never had um, in the history. And it makes learning um, in very self-driven and specific ways just so easy and accessible. Um, and I can't imagine like how it would make sense to deny your your children <laughs> access to this amazing, amazing thing. You know, in the past, I could see people having an argument for schools and teachers and textbooks being as like gatekeepers to knowledge and to information. But that's just not the case anymore. Um, now you can learn anything you want. It's all just right there at your fingertips. And then you also have the the connection piece with others. Like my children video chat with friends all over the world. Um, and so there's that connection piece in a way that extends your reach so much farther through technology. You know, in the past, maybe you only had your the people in your direct neighborhood or community to tap into, but now you can tap into the entire world's community and you can build friendships um, and mutually beneficial connections with literally anyone in the world who has access to an internet connection, which is amazing. And then kids can also contribute to that. They can can publish something and about an issue that they care about through an organization that's active in that issue. You know, there are just so many opportunities for them to contribute and for them to be valued in ways that we all benefit from. Um, and a lot of that can happen through technology. So we really think of it just like a tool that we plant in the environment right alongside books and paper and, and pens. Um, I think some people are afraid of like being out of balance Balance, balance is a word I hear a lot with screaming, balance, balance, balance. (laughs) (laughs) But I have found that like role modeling is really, like with so many things in in a homeschooling and unschooling lifestyle, role modeling is a huge piece. And so my kids see me, um, like right now doing this podcast with you, this is using technology. Um, I help families all over the world like through my email coaching and I get to write like which is something I'm so passionate about and that uses technology and then convenience like I can pay bills I can find amazing adventures for us based on their interests like all this really useful stuff for living an amazing 
life. And a lot of it happens through a screen. Um, and then they see like that the balance piece that I bring in. Like I might say, oh, I've been writing for so long, I'm going cross-eyed. Like someone want to take a hike with me? Um, so they see like that that balance piece. And the research really supports that that it's not back on this isn't really an effective way of of giving them what they need for the long haul um if you feel like you're out of balance and there are too many screens then it focus your effort on creating more life because people escape into a screen when there isn't much in the real world for them you know children who don't have open and free access to the outdoors and might be alone for many, many hours a day um, tend to turn more into screens as an escape. But again, because they don't really have many other positive options. So if you feel out of balance, instead of focusing on limiting on that end, focus on building up on the other end, like find more what their interests are and build more into your life on that other side. I love that point because it it really is when there's choices, right? When yep. they have lots of valid choices that and they're choosing it because they're getting something out of it. They're not escaping to it because they have nothing else to do, right? I mean, yeah. just having those choices is is a huge piece and that is, you know, kind of the foundation of unschooling right is you can't really be following your interests if you don't have a lot of choices to pick between because how do you know what you're interested in right exactly (laughs) but like the other day my 12 year old we were we were all getting ready to go out to eat dinner and my 12 year old was skyping with a group of friends um, from our last unschooling conference and they had this google doc open and they were all writing this screenplay together and I was, and I, you know, it's like things, and and my kid like begged me, can I, you know, stay? Can you guys just bring me back something? And we said like, sure, of course. I think they're on like page twelve of their screenplay right now. But all of these like amazing things can happen through by just having screens as one of those choices in their environment. My nine-year-old just built a very detailed replica of our house, like in Minecraft. And since he helped like remodel it, he even knew like what was behind the walls and just this amazing like engineering architectural exercise. And then as soon as it took him days, and then as soon as he was done, he like closed the computer in a very dramatic fashion and 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 asked, when's the next adventure in the calendar? <laughs> like, <laughs> and he focused so much like effort into into creating this amazing thing, and then was ready to like blow out into other areas, you know, to sort of balance out. Like that's we normally kind of do that as human beings. That's you mentioned this too, and I just want to bring this out to make sure people notice. But um, when we're talking about balance, balance isn't about equal, you know, equal time on screen and equal time outside, which, you know, sometimes people interpret it that way, but it's really about that self-awareness, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Just like you talked about your son, knowing that he had put all this effort and energy and time into this project that he was working on. And then, you know, when he was done and ready, then he was ready for that next adventure. It was him knowing himself, wasn't it? Yeah, and it's less about screens and more about just an intense and prolonged focus on any 
projects. Like had exactly. he been building it with Legos, which he often does, he would have had the same response as soon as he finished creating this amazing project. Or if my older son had, had been writing all of this on a piece of paper, you know, with some friends sitting around him, I wouldn't I wouldn't feel the urge to say that's that's enough paper time. Like you need to do something different. Um, so why would I? Feel that <laughs> just because it happens to be on the screen. Exactly, I love that. It's it is about it is really about the their choices and if it helps to think of it like projects or whatever. But whatever the tool is, right? It's a yeah. tool, just like paper, whatever it is. I think where people get hung up or the, where the challenge becomes, let's take it back to connections again, is because when they see a child with like I, I'm not even comfortable calling it screens because as you've said right. there's like a million different things you do right you're not exactly. on a screen or like off when I'm reading an ebook versus like writing an article versus it's like there's there's yeah. somehow this secret value judgment placed and I'm not I haven't like been given the chart to know exactly what <laughs> things are valued at what unit of measurement but it, it, it feels from society like that exists somewhere <laughs> but yeah so when you see them using it that is not like oh I need to go do something else you can still connect with them it may not literally be you know in that moment they may be intensely concentrated on whatever it is they're doing but when you don't put that value judgment or that negative judgment just because that's the tool they're using, you can connect with them about whatever it is that they're doing to, to actually know whether they're playing a game or they're writing a screenplay or they're watching a YouTube video about, you know, one of their most favorite things. But if you don't um, connect with them over them to know you won't know what their favorite thing is right in this moment right yeah and so if you it, don't feel negative and resentful about it they are more willing to come to you and include you in all of these amazing things that they're doing like my nine-year-old kept wanting to show me the different stages as he was putting building in the house in this virtual world and my 12 year old keeps coming to me with new ideas and running them past me and wanting to help him with editing this certain part in this paragraph. And as long as you, every time they come to you, they aren't feeling this negative, judgy, resentful vibe, you know, then you leave that door open and they want to include you in all of these amazing things. Boom. That's it. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) When you don't, when you're open for connection, right? When you're not judging, it can be so connecting. Again, that 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 just happens to be the tool that they're using for whatever it is they're pursuing. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Um, and you have spoken about adventures uh, a little bit, and I wanted to dive into that topic as well because in your book you talk about them as uh, micro adventures, and I thought that was such a great term because I think the adventure mindset is a wonderful way to approach our unschooling days because it does it evokes that open and curious approach to the moment. And it, that was actually a lens that we used a lot when my kids were growing up, too. We just thought, what are we going to do today? We just thought of it as an adventure, even if we were, like, just going to the local park. What are we going to find today, you know? Yeah. Uh, is the river high? Is the river low? Um, you know, have the beavers been out? You know, what are the, how many leaves have fallen? There's just always 
so much um, to see and to explore when you have an adventurous mindset. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about how you guys find adventure. Yes, adventure is our, our jam. That's like our, <laughs> that's our, our big family intention is adventure together. Like that's up on our whiteboard right now. But adventure is like, it's enthusiastic and it's experience based exploration. It's all the things you said. It's like this open minded, curious approach. And the adventure mindset releases expectation and investment in outcome in favor mm-hmm. of open minded, curious, fun uh, together. And so I think that if you, you know, if you say we're going to go to the science museum and we have this tour of the, you know, prehistoric exhibit and there is, I have found that there is definitely attachment to outcome that happens and people tend to get kind of goal-ish about it and then feel like, well, my child, that was a failure in my child. I asked him afterwards and he didn't know you know, when the Paleolithic period began. And and so it loses, like, the magic of that learning through experience of that adventure lifestyle. And I think that the term microadventure in particular really uh, releases a lot of the pressure. Like, they don't have, you don't have to spend a month in Europe for it to be um, an adventure. But if you are living that adventurous lifestyle and thinking of these as adventures, um, then it's just this self-driven, curiosity-based experiences of fun together. And it allows them to pick up the pieces. So I th- sometimes I think of learning as like bites, like they learn in bites or, or they pick up these different pieces and they can, it, it sort of creates this ocean of understanding. And in some spots, it's really shallow and in other spots, it's really deep. But as you build on these adventures and have more and more of them together all these different pieces connect and they just dive so deep with some of them and some of them stay more shallow but that's okay they all sort of get connected together into this ocean of understanding and when you can trust in that process like oh it just it just flourishes and it's such an amazing thing to be a part of (laughs) I love that yeah it's so true and that was such an important piece that you mentioned that attachment to outcomes Um, because you're right if you're if you're looking for something in particular, then you are going to judge whether this was a success or a yeah. failure, right? And you lose the those million other droplets of water that also came up. Yes. All yeah, experiences you, have value. Yeah. One time we had some friends who are, it's, they're a full-time traveling family and they came and they stayed with us and we went up to Mount Rainier and we did the Junior Ranger program and we went on this amazing hike. And then at the end, when they're getting sworn in as junior rangers, the ranger asked my youngest what his like his favorite part of the day was. And he said something like eating cherries with my friend Avery. And mm-hmm. <laughs> and all the rangers were kind of giggling, you know, all these other the other the kids had these like scientific answers. And I just like smiled so big and, and, and said like, and that's perfect. You know, like that is these friends that we hardly ever see and they were bonding over cherries. And if that's what my kid took away from that day, I, I absolutely see that day as a success. I know that my kid got a lot out of it. He's happy and he's going to walk away with positive memories of this. And then another time, if we see like a black squirrel, like we happened to that day, it may pull, you know, things may pull together. 
um, about other things, but even if they don't, like that's okay. Like all experiences <laughs> have value and we take away from them what we need to take away from them, even if it may not be, um, you know, what a teacher in a traditional public school would be able to give a grade to, it still has value. Oh yeah. And, and that's something you find when you have the trust too, is that, um, cause often you see these things looking back, right? So you were talking about the black squirrel, you know, you might see so often later on, um, in the future, something happens and they pull something, um, from an experience out that you don't even know that they remembered, right? All but the time. They're making connections and putting, building that ocean. Yes. <laughs> And you just have no idea. So to value one thing over another in someone else's experience um, is wrong. <laughs> yes, so wrong. It, it really and I think work, now right? that I've had, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And now that I've had all of the time and experience to really be deep in that trust piece, like I see it. Like you said, I see them pull these things up in the future. Things that I didn't even know that they noticed. Things that I didn't mm-hmm. know you know, that, that like really sunk in for them, they pulled them out at these most, you know, at these, at these random times. My nine-year-old does that all the time and just makes me chuckle. We'll be out walking around with people and a stranger will ask a question and he'll just turn around and answer the question all matter of fact about, about these things that, you know, I never like taught him quote unquote, but they just, they just come out. They just come out all the time. And so that really helps me to be like so deep in that trust piece because I get to, I get to see that all of these seeds that, that were planted, they do take root and they do bloom. It's just not in a sensical order or on anyone else's timeline, but they really do all, they, they bloom. Yeah, I love that because that that's the point, um, the value of, of the freedom of, of time, right? When you were talking yes. about being unbusy is because when we are not trying to put um, some sort of structure into overlay onto their day. So even if it's not curriculum, but if it's keeping them busy with activities, et cetera, it's like when Steve Jobs talked about um, creativity and making those connections, it's that people have had the time to process them and, and they have the time in the moment to bring those connections together, right? Which you don't, if you're uh, constantly trying to keep adding things, right. And keep um, moving and and looking like you're doing, you're busy doing all these things. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great point. And if, this adventure piece holds space for them to learn what they are interested in as well. Cause we sit down together as a family and I say, what do you want to learn? What do you want to experience? What things are interesting to you right now that we can, you know, dive deeper with. And then we research different places and locations and, and people and, and activities um, that might tap into those things. So it's not even like a top down, you know, I, I have a schedule that I, with a list of of places, you know, from up on high, like we sit down and brainstorm together and then we have a calendar and it's on, it's on a screen. (laughs) Um, I have a Google calendar and it, the kids have access to it through their iPads. And, and we, again, we sort of like write our family's story together and come up with these amazing adventures. And then I just work out the details for us. Um, 
And then that's a huge piece to our learning and a huge piece to our lifestyle that brings us so much joy and so much learning. (laughs) Well, for us, because, you know, we didn't have Google Calendar when my kids were younger, but we had like a huge (laughs) calendar in the kitchen, Right. So, I mean, the kids soon enough, they they would all come running to see what was there. And when they had an idea and they're like, oh, let's do this. And we would try to figure out when when it would work well for everybody and stick it on the calendar. And then people knew to anticipate it. And I loved your idea of um, when you're talking about sitting with them and, and coming up with all these ideas. The other piece that I always found fun and interesting for me um or, or that brought value to this whole adventure thing was just um, knowing, number one, knowing what the kids were interested in, but also knowing my kids and knowing myself and just, you know, maybe I was on mailing lists of things or, you know, nowadays mm-hmm. with, with Facebook and with all yeah, the connections and the Facebook interesting... Group. Yeah. And the interesting unschoolers that are just I'm connected with in my life, I see all sorts of things go by. So it's just Mm -hmm. being open to what's out there in the world. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And just bringing those in. Hey, look what I found out. This is happening nearby. And would you be interested in that? And, And totally yes or no. But um, to know about what's out there, to be able to bring that into our, the possibility, different opportunities into our world, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. That there was one recently too, actually, cause I can tell my kids have kind of, um, taken on that adventurous mm-hmm. mindset. I mean, Lissy, when she turned 18, her, she got a a tattoo and and it said find adventure. Oh, I still, love that. It still says. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and yeah, that, that was just our mindset. And then we were in Florida uh, for a vacation uh, last month. Anyway, so when we were um, planning it, we're not. Um, we knew the dates, etc. Um, so Michael, what, John Green is one of his favorite authors right now, and he noticed um, that he was on a book tour for his newest release and actually noticed that he was had a spot uh, in Florida, in Orlando, when we were there. Oh, so he's wow. like, hey, look what I found. Because, you know, you're just always open yes. to the possibilities. That curious, adventurous mindset. And we did. We, end, we ended up going to uh, see his uh, book tour date in Orlando and it was awesome, but it wasn't something that you would say, Oh, I'm going to Orlando. Let me look for that. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And but in that adventure mindset is so much flexibility and, and open-mindedness. And it's, it's just this completely wide open mind and this sense of togetherness. And it's, you are completely open to say yes, which especially when kids are young, like that is a huge, open door for learning and connection, like the power of the yes. And when you're in that adventure mindset, um, you're just so free to be able to do that. You know, you might drive three hours away to, to see this amazing thing and then stop 15 minutes shy of that because you guys see something that looks awesome and then spend the whole day there instead. And that's fine too. Like that's also winning, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's an adventure. Cause if adventure is the intention as opposed to these specific goals with outcomes, then it, it always feels like you're successful. 
Yes, that's beautiful. And and it's amazing how many serendipitous things just show up on the path. It's so it? true. Oh my gosh, it's so true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that so much. Well, I want to say thank you so much for speaking with me today, Rachel. It was so much fun. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it was great. And before we go, where's the best place for people to connect with you online? Sageparenting.com is sort of the hub for all of my stuff. And then I post a lot of our adventures on Instagram, too, under Sage Parenting. So if you want to follow along on our adventures, you can follow along right there. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Rachel. Have a great Thank day. Thank you. You too. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast. While you're there, be sure to check out the third book in my Living Joyfully with Unschooling series, Life Through the Lens of Unschooling. This book is a wide array of essays drawn from my blog that shed light on the day-to-day lives of unschooling families. You'll find essays tackling everything from learning to read to visiting relatives, all organized around nine keywords that have been woven into the fabric of our unschooling lives. De-schooling, learning, days, parenting, relationships, family, lifestyle, unconventional, and perspective. The theme is life, the lens, unschooling. Until next time, have fun living and learning with your family.